up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion, where I don't have all the facts, but I sure do have a lot of opinions. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and today's podcast completely lifts the veil behind pursuing your passion. We live in such a world now of Pinterest quotes, unrealistic Instagram expectations, always wondering, how can I pursue my passion and live like this when I see all these other people living so lavishly? Like, how is this 27-year-old in Positano drinking Aperol spritzes, then she's in Mykonos two weeks later partying at a beach club, and also seems to have her shit together back home and love her everyday job. That's the person that we're all comparing ourselves to, and we get so caught up in this that we forget all about the journey of each individual. Today's guest, Serena Wolf, is a perfect example of someone who completely lifts the veil behind this and talks about that journey. She's an author, blogger, influencer, Le Cordon Bleu trained chef, and she's just an all-around culinary and comedic badass. She received her culinary certification in Paris, met her soulmate there, and currently lives in New York City with her husband, blogging and writing full-time amongst other avenues like public speaking. What a life, right? Well, what's interesting is Serena tells us about all the shit that she had to do to get there. So things like back-to-back jobs that she wasn't even passionate about, she just outright hated. She also talks about extreme burnout from writing her cookbook, The Dude Diet, the finances it took to produce her book, how long it takes to create a blog post. I was shocked. Like I was literally speechless, living with anxiety and so much more. This was such a valuable interview in my opinion, because she sets expectations around the reality of pursuing your passion. It's not overnight. It's not cheap. It's not fun every day. It's not quick. It's not lucrative off the bat. And it sure as hell is not a one way easy road to success. There's a lot of shitty things that you need to day in and day out where you ultimately want to be, and that's what makes it worth it, though. So knowing you invested so much in something definitely makes the stakes higher and keeps you going. And if you wanted to be a blogger overnight and hit 1 million visitors, just think about that. The excitement would wear off pretty quick because it's like lightning in a bottle. You don't want your passion or career to be lightning in a bottle. You want to lay the bricks to make that house really solid, not a house of cards. So Serena is the perfect person to have on to discuss this. So I want you guys to hear all about her journey down this winding road to get where she is now. With that, let's hear from Serena. Well, I'm so glad we're able to talk. Um, I kind of want to just start from the beginning. Like, yeah, you're in New York. You used to live in Paris. You had no interest in food, but somehow you were culinary trained at one of the best schools in the world. Like, let's just start from the beginning in childhood and how you ended up where you are today. Well, <laughs> that's very, a loaded question. Very long winding road. Um, but like nobody in my family cooks. First of all, I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in LA and Santa Barbara. So I grew up eating pretty healthily. Um, also just like really great access to produce in California, you know, like we got the sunshine, we got the good stuff and people were just slightly more health conscious. So it's funny now people are like, Oh, when did you become sort of a healthy cook? It's like, I think it's really been ingrained in me since I was younger. And so that was always sort of my idea of food was just healthy food. Uh, but I was a really picky eater growing up and nobody in my family cooks. My mom like burned things from time to time. It was her signature. Although she is a very good cook. She just forgets that she's cooking and like everything. Burns. The house down. Uh, so I basically in college, I studied sociology and French. I had always wanted to live in Paris. I, had sort of an existential crisis upon graduating from college. I also graduated in 2009 at the height of the financial crisis. And basically most of my friends were either going into like 
creative fields or teach for America. That was, yeah, that was like exactly my time. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was in a complete panic. And at that time in my life, I really thought I wanted to be a writer. Um, now that feels hilarious to me, even though that is a a large part of what I do, the concept of being just a straight up writer, not related to food or lifestyle or anything else just is ridiculous. That's what I wanted to do. And, you know, a lot of people post-college were like, I'm moving to New York or LA or Chicago or whatever. And I was like, cool, I'm going to move to Paris. Like, (laughs) you're like, I'm going to outdo you and go over to Paris. And that was what I wanted to do. And I had wanted to go abroad to Paris in college and there just weren't any good programs at the time that were available to me. So this felt like a great idea. Also incredibly naive and only something a 22 year old would decide to do. Um, I knew no one, I think not a soul, um, had been to Paris with my family twice. Uh, but when I was much, much younger, also thought that I spoke French because, like I said, I minored in French, but I spoke like school French. Like so the I spoke 101. like a grandmother. Yeah, yeah. And like I, I thought I was fluent. I just had this crazy confidence, and I was like, yeah, 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 I speak French. And then I got there, and I was like, what the fuck? You're like I, I basically know how to say like how like can I have water? <laughs> yes, exactly. But also, Parisians have a really strong accent that I wasn't used to hearing. So that made comprehension a lot more difficult. And then also everyone that I met sort of responded to me in English because they could sense that I was not French, which was not very helpful in terms of practicing my skills. Um, but I moved over there and a friend of mine, right before I left, a friend of mine was like, look, I know you're going to look for jobs and be a writer and wow, all the crazy things that you plan to do. But also I, she had done the basic program at Cordon Bleu and she was like, I highly recommend you look into that. It will give you some structure while you're figuring your life out. It's a life skill that you will never regret having regardless of <laughs> you like end right. up doing anything with it. Um, and she didn't end up going into food and I applied and spoiler alert, like everybody gets in. Oh, (laughs) I mean, I just feel you will come to know this about me, but like, I am not about trying to make myself sound anything. Right. Like, I'm not trying to make myself sound. Yeah. Like it was the echelon of student (laughs) entries. Like, Like, no, literally like like 500 people. Yeah. How on earth could you get into the school when you have no experience and you had no interest in food? I was like, I wrote an essay and I wrote them a check. And like, that is how it happened. You got it. Uh, so I got there no cooking skills, no idea what I was going to do. But I really did have that ridiculous romantic notion that I think a lot of us adopted after like Julia and Julia and was like, Oh, like I'll chop an onion really fast yeah, (laughs) and drink a lot of wine and make friends and it will be wonderful. And that was not my experience at all. And also anybody who knows anything about culinary school knows that that illusion is ridiculous but I did not. <laughs> so I got you there. You thought it was going to be like easy breezy, just figure easy breezy. it. Yes. And I thought it was going to be fun. And now I laugh at anyone who's like, oh my God, it's my dream to go to Connie School in France. I'm like, that is a messed up dream. Oh my God. You're like, that's a nightmare actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, and for the first few weeks for me, it really was because I just didn't have any experience and pretty much everybody else in my class did. They either had a lifelong, you know, passion for food. A lot of people were 
just really seasoned home cooks and were looking for a career change. Other students had been working in restaurants for years and had come to get their formal credentials so that they could advance more quickly. And I just was a fish out of water and I had zero knife skills. I had never handled any sort of ingredient in its whole form. So when I say ingredient, I mean like, especially proteins, I'm talking fish, chicken, whatever. I'm like, you're getting the whole fish. You're scaling it, gutting it, filleting it. You're oh my God. Your, feather, your feathers off of a chicken. You are getting your rabbit with the tongue hanging out the oh. side of its mouth. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I you weren't engrossed and out? I actually wasn't. I did smell like fish for that entire like term. Which oh was my God. Disgusting. Yeah. Was lovely after scent. It. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrifying. And... I guess I want to say, I wish I had something more profound to say about the experience because this just sounds like a platitude, but somewhere in that first term, I just really fell in love with it. It's one of those things where I was going to school, you know, nine hours a day, you go and you watch these demonstrations from these old French traditional chefs. uh, And then you are in a practical classroom, a kitchen, literally with like 10 stoves in it. And then you just replicate what was taught to you. And for me, there was something about that, that gave me a lot of peace, just like executing something that I'd been taught. Like I said, I was very academic and like, I'm very good at following instructions. And I was like, this is wonderful for my brain. And it was super quiet and just peaceful. And I was very stressful, but like, also calming and I'm somebody stress almost. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I just ended up loving it and decided to stay and do the full diploma program. And I did do one term of pastry, pastry and cuisine are separated. You can absolutely do both, but that's very few students do both. It's usually like you specialize in one or the other. And pastry is just a different it's a different part of the brain. It's a different skill set. It's science. It's something I'm terrible at. And I just hated that portion of it. I was like, I do not want to make sugar roses and worry about if I like put half an ounce to little flour. Yeah. Oh my God. I just didn't care. And so I dropped that, did the full cuisine diploma and like never looked back was like, Oh, this is my thing. But I will say when you're good at something, especially this, this has always been my experience. You end up liking it more. Oh, <laughs> so of I was course. Like, oh, like I have a knack for this, and so now I'm going to make this my thing. Right, because if you hated it, I can't imagine yeah. you being like, "Wow, I want to dedicate my life's work to something that I'm like really shitty at." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just would have graduated after those yeah. three months and thrown in the towel and moved on with my life. Um, but that is not what happened. And so I started my blog when I was over there, 2011 which like still blogspot days. So it was pink, had shitty Blackberry photos on it. I was sharing recipes and like also telling stories about the weird dinner parties that my roommate platonic female at that time (laughs) and I were hosting together. And it was just really fun because we were learning how to entertain. We were 22, 23, and we would, we lived in this miniature Parisian apartment, which the only thing smaller than New York apartments are Parisian apartments. And we would just push all of our furniture together and then like light a bunch of candles and it looked ridiculous. And then you turn the lights off and it's all of a sudden very bohemian chic. Yeah, cool. <laughs> and, 
And so we were throwing these parties and I started talking to my friends at home and they were all asking me cooking questions because everybody was in their first kitchen and cooking for themselves for their, like for the first time. And they weren't asking me really complicated questions like how to, you know, trust a chicken or they weren't gutting and filleting their own fish. They were like, is the chicken cooked through? Like, what is something I can make that is not going to make me spend nine hours in the kitchen? You know, like one of my friends was like, Ina Garden is my favorite, but I can't get behind her timelines because she's always like, oh, Jeffrey will be home in six hours. Like we have so much to do. And you're like, oh God, no, that's not my full-time job. Get behind. I'm like 45 minutes. Right. So I started my blog, which was called at the time, domesticate moi. It's now domesticate me. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, you're going to die because I wanted to start a beauty Instagram and it was called, I'm like getting embarrassment chills right now. It was called like, Ooh la la mademoiselle. And I was like, what a long name for an Instagram handle. And I was like, what's going to take off? Like, Ooh la la mademoiselle. And everyone's like, I, we don't even know how to spell mademoiselle. Like, how is that going to be a thing? And I was like, you're right. And I like shut it down you're after two at posts. At the time, you're like, it's sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of, I'm going to be, this is before even like sponsored posts or anything. I was like, this is just a way to showcase my talent. I was just doing like winged liner on my friends. And I was like, la la mademoiselle. (laughs) I mean, I would have been into it. I think the truth though, is that because I started my blog at that time and never had any professional aspirations with it, just like this was pre-Instagram sponsorship. So la la mademoiselle could have been a passion project. Like that's, that's what it was for me. And I think that that's such an interesting way to start a blog because it's very liberating. Mm -hmm. Like I did not give a shit and it is very apparent. And like, if anybody wants a good laugh, like go back to the first like 10 blog posts and just be like, what is happening on this website? (laughs) You're going to die. Cause I actually was just looking up like the dude diet to see when you started really posting about it. And like the first photo about it. And I was like, I'm dying. Cause I know now you're obviously your photos are professional and edited. And I was like, you could tell just like everyone back in the day, we didn't know what we were doing with all this content. So it's like, whatever, I'll snap a photo in the dark and weird angle and kind of blurry and see what happens. Yeah. And it was that it, for me really was just like a fun creative outlet. And like I said, I had wanted to be a writer. So it was a fun way for me to be writing without any pressure. Um, and so when I came home, I knew I didn't want to be in the restaurant world, like ever. That is a very specific type of person that I have so much respect for, but cannot be. And I had met my now husband, Logan, we started dating when I was in Paris. And so I came home, moved in with him was like, again, second existential crisis. Now I have this training. What am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. So I'd started the blog again, blogging, not a career option at that point in time. So I decided I wanted to be on TV. Okay. So next phase in my like life career (laughs) process. I was like, I'm going to be on TV. So I got a talent agent. Meanwhile, obviously I have to have jobs during like all of these times. So I was supposed to sing at a restaurant. Yeah. I was like, how are you funding all this? Okay. I was going to people's apartments and teaching them how to like make a piece of salmon and some quinoa, like very basic cooking lessons and doing private chef work while also being like, I'm going to be on TV. (laughs) (laughs) So I got this talent agent and who was wonderful and like believed in me and got me in the door at some really impressive places like food network and big networks. And 
people basically laughed at me. We're like, you are 23 years old. You've been cooking for 18 months. Our audience has been cooking for almost as long as you've been alive. Nobody wants to take advice for you, but from you. And I think that what was so crazy is this was 2012. Yeah. So it was before Instagram, obviously before food was what it is today. I don't think like the true food hype really began to hit until like 2014. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, there was top chef, which they were like, do you want to be on top chef? And I was like, no, I will be the first voted off. Like I, (laughs) I don't really even know what I'm doing. So, and I didn't. And so I met with these people, became sort of discouraged. And then my agent was like, okay, you need to write a book. That's what's going to give you street cred. And then you can get on TV. So I wrote a book proposal for a book called food that doesn't suck. And that. It very, it very much did suck, but like, I was like, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. Right. And it got to a point now looking back, having had the publishing experience with the dude diet, I realized that it was a very strange experience. There was only one publisher that was interested in meeting with me, but they seemed pretty interested in the proposal and it got pretty far along. And I was convinced that I was getting this book deal. And then I didn't. And that was like, really soul crushing. I think at that point I'd been home for a year and a half doing all these odd jobs that I didn't like and, and not sure how to get to the next level. But the crazy thing about saying that is like, I didn't know what I was trying to get to the next level of like, am I trying to get on TV? Am I trying to be a blogger, which was like starting to become a thing? Am I, trying to make a name for myself in the food world, so to speak, like is my, what is, what is my goal here? And so that book proposal falling through, because I did spend like four months writing this, you know, 45 page proposal and coming up with the recipe titles and all of this, you know, market research, et cetera. So to have that fall through was now in hindsight, the biggest blessing ever, right. but at the time, just like, I kicked me in the teeth and I literally, I said to my husband and my family and my friends, I was like, I think this is it. Like, I think I should just get a quote unquote normal job, probably in food, but maybe in like food media, right? you know, working behind the scenes in production or whatever. And I really thought about that. And then it was ultimately my dad who gave me really good advice that I stand by being the best advice I've ever gotten, which was it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Oh, love that. (laughs) That's the best quote ever. Right. And, and my husband who was like, you can like wallow in this or you can get up and figure out what it is that you want to do and then work towards a smaller goal, one small goal at a time. And I ended up talking to my talent agent and, and he did not really understand the blogging world at that point. I was like, you don't need to be a blogger. We'll find another way to get you on TV. And at that point, the concept of TV had sort of become less appealing. And I was like, I don't know if that's a goal that I want to have, long-term because what does that even mean? And so I basically was like skipping steps has never worked for me at any stage in my life. So I'm not going to skip the blogging step. I'm going to commit to this 
and see what I can do in terms of building a platform. And we'll go from there. That's one small goal. And I will continue doing these jobs that I don't like. And I will focus more time on, you know, the free time that I have building this blog and getting it off the ground. So I got a professional camera. I bought an online food photography course and like studied the shit out of it. I learned how to take photos. I learned how to write a recipe properly because like most, I just, you know, was using quarter tea, this like in random order. And I was like, no, you're going to write a recipe properly. So Google can fucking find it. Right. I was (laughs) like, I don't even know what that means. So apparently there's a proper way. There's a proper way you are going to learn about search engine optimization. You are going to network with people in the food, food blogging, food media space and, and ask questions. And basically you are going to take your life into your own hands in a serious way. And that mm-hmm. was scary. And also progress is slow. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, Oh, I have a camera and next week I'm number one ranked yeah. blog and food. Exactly. So what the crazy thing is, is the first blog post that I ever wrote that got any real response. And this was still pre Instagram, um, was that first dude diet post. Wow. Which is, if you, like you said, terrible photos. And I think the recipe is, I think it's for some sort of also buco, like nobody make the recipe. It's a terrible <laughs> recipe and it probably doesn't work, but I wrote that post and then I got a bunch of emails from people. Cause at that time <laughs> there was no sliding into the DMs. It was hardcore email being like, right. wait a second. Is the dude diet a real thing? It was mostly people who were laughing at it and being like, this is really funny. Like, can you do something with this? Or is the dude diet a real diet? And I was like, no, but I was like, it's common sense, but it could, it could be sure. Like right. let's make it a thing. And then it was a lot of, it was a handful of guys being like, I want meals that are healthier, that are not, you know, Atkins or it was this beginning of paleo, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give up whole food groups. And then a lot of women who, for better or for worse, I think women have been taught that we are not supposed to eat comfort foods, you know, it's like see, chicken like fingers rabbits, or yeah. pizza or like whatever. And, I, and they were like, I want more healthy recipes for this kind of food. And so I started a call up called the dude diet. And I did it every week. In addition to my other blog posts, I think I was doing three posts a week at this point, which is so, so much work. Like there are people who post five days a week. I don't know how they do it. And, and I do, I think like for me, because I like to think of myself as a writer, which, you know, I, I like the storytelling aspect of food. So when I was writing blog posts, mine were much longer. And some people hate that. They're like, blah, 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 shut up. Give me the recipe. Whereas other people, which was something I was very proud of in the beginning of my blog, they're like, I've never cooked a single one of your recipes. I just come to like, hear what you are talking about this week. And like, it provides me with five minutes of entertainment. And so three posts a week was a lot for me. And I had started a web series called just the tip that was like, just 60 second videos. Oh my God. Very, I love it. I love all your little poor. spin on words. <laughs> yeah. Very poor production quality of me just giving short <laughs> cooking tips and the dude diet started to take off. And then I got again, crazy long winding story. I got a job private chefing for 
a guy on the New York Giants through the dude diet column because their nutritionist was like, this is an interesting angle. Like we have a lot of guys who need to be eating healthily, but they're not going to go on any crazy diet. Like we're just trying to get them to eat less Taco Bell. Like that's that's literally (laughs) that's the goal. So I did that for two seasons. I had one guy each season and I learned so much. I, again, I really hated it. I'm not a private chef (laughs) and it was really hard. And it was in like, I was really underpaid and it was in New Jersey and I would rent a car and drive out there. Cause I live in New York city. Like I don't have a car, you know, it just, it was logistically a nightmare. Uh, and it was a very strange life period, but I learned so much. And it was one of those things that even then I could see, the future value of it. Like from the first day when I was like, Oh, I do not like this. I was like, you're going to suck it up because this is a stepping stone. Yeah. This is a clear career booster. And you don't have, for me, that was sort of my version of cooking on the line in a restaurant, which is what, you know, when you graduate from culinary school, most people go and cook on the line. If their goal is to be a restaurant chef for me, like I had to cut my teeth somewhere Mm because I was still learning. I still had, I'm still learning now. Like there is no universe in which I am a better chef than some of some home cooks who have just been cooking for 30 years. Like, of course, like they just know things that I am continuing to learn. So I did that. And then while throughout that process, a different book agent at my agency. So like, it's not like when my book didn't sell, they dropped me. It was more like, okay, you need to go back to the drawing board, come up with another idea. Mm -hmm. And so I got transferred to a younger book agent and she met with me while I was private chefing for, it was my second year of private chefing. And she was, she sat me down. She's like, I've read every single thing on your blog. Your book is the dude diet. Your only book is the dude diet. It is the only book I can sell. And I was like, done. You know, at, at the end of the day, it was the only thing I would have had enough passion and like excitement to write a whole book about. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was like, great. So she was like, please go write me a proposal. And this was the end of 2014. She was like, go write me a proposal. We'll pitch it beginning of January. And that's exactly what we did. We went around to publishers and pitched it and ultimately, you know, went to auction. And then I, the highest bidder was HarperCollins, uh, an imprint of HarperCollins. And I, that was who I had wanted to work with anyway. And so signed the deal, quit my private chef job. Oh my God. <laughs> so like, peace. This is what's <laughs> happening now. Um, even though at the time, again, like with, I think most people just because somebody who's reading my blog or following me on Instagram and doesn't find me through the di- dude diet probably describes me as a blogger or I guess now in today's terms, an influencer, which is, is a new term. Right. Um, which is not how I think of myself, not because I think I'm like above it or whatever. I think it's mostly because that has never been for a long time. It was not my primary source of income. Right. So I've never been able to just blog without doing other things. And same thing, like during that cookbook writing, thank God I also had the blog because it's not like I'm getting, you know, paid fuck you money for a first right. book deal. <laughs> so yeah. like I needed both income streams and I ended up pocketing basically nothing on the book because you end up paying for everything. So I paid 
for a photographer, like my photographer, I basically give my whole advance, which is what they give you. People never really understand how the book industry works. And so it's something I've been working a lot on throughout this second book process because the first, during the first book process, I think Instagram stories was introduced, which is like my jam. Instagram stories are my thing. I love them so much. I am not a static in feed post person. I regularly forget to post in my feed. And I noticed yesterday, I was like, Oh, you have not posted anything in like a week, but I I forget that because I'm on Insta stories every day. I feel like everyone is on stories. They are. And I feel like people don't even check their feeds anymore. No, I'm like, I don't care. Like you said, I want to see like your Q and a, I want to see what you're wearing. I want to see what workout you're doing today. I don't want to see like the buttoned up professional photo shoot. Like (laughs) who cares moving along? Yeah. And so I, I sort of lean into stories and I think that's allowed me to be just me, which is such a blessing because I think that's why it took me a long time to grow on Instagram. And I met with uh, a manager who handles like, you know, influencers Mm -hmm. a few years ago. And she was like, it's very interesting. Like your blog numbers do not match up with your Instagram numbers. And in that my Instagram following was so much smaller than the people reading my blog. And I think that's partially because there's an age spread uh, that read my blog. Like there's a lot of like 60 plus year old people who are not on Instagram who are like, Oh, like, yeah. like mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the stories, Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, but yeah. I didn't. I think because again, I'm not a feed person. I just like wasn't posting consistently enough. I didn't care enough about the feed. And so when stories was introduced, I was just like, Oh my God, thank God. Like this is such a weight lifted off my shoulders. And then I started to grow because Mm -hmm. people were able to get to know me. And I think that's ultimately what people want on social media. Oh, is to get to know somebody. And like, you're not doing that with me being like, here's my steak salad recipe today. Like it just, it was, and, and some people are masters of captions and I hand, I got to hand it to those people. Like for me, a caption, even a long caption is too short. Like I'm either going super short or psycho blog post long. Like right. I can't cut do it down. <laughs> it's so hard. I have that same problem where I'm like trying to post the longer captions to give more insight. But to your point, okay, I use this one app to do the text break and I keep getting a like word limit alert and they're like, you can't do it. And I'm like, Oh my God, but I have like 50 more things to say. How am I going to get it out? So that's a good tip to just get it out on Instagram stories. Yeah. And I think some people aren't going to be interested and that's okay. Like that is, you're not the great thing about stories too, is not all of your content is for all of your audience. And so people are going to pick and choose what they want. And that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so I really started to show the sort of ins and outs of the book process this time, because I think people don't talk a lot about finances in the career Uh space. And I think it does us all a disservice. Ultimately, I think as women, we have a tendency to undervalue ourselves because nobody's talking about their worth. Like, how would we know? Right. And so with like book advances, I think people think that you get this big fat check and I'm like, okay, so I get my advance out of that advance. I have to buy all of the groceries for recipe testing, which ends up shaking out to like 
close to 10 grand. Like think about how many recipes think about like buying food for dinner and then consider the fact that I'm making 125 recipes minimum three times each. Like that's just so much food. Yeah. And then on top of that, I have to pay a photographer who, and not just a photographer, photographer, a food stylist, an assistant for each of those, a studio manager in New York. I ended up doing my photo shoot in LA where my photographer, who I'm deeply obsessed with and shot both my books has his own studio. So I got to mitigate that expense. But in New York, I was getting quoted just to like give people an idea for my first photo shoot in New York. I was getting quoted between 80 and $95,000 for the shoot. You're lying. And my photographer ended up doing it for 63, I think. So think about give it, I basically give them like most of my advance, right? like most of it. And then on top of that, if you want to get outside PR, which is a choice, but I personally have benefited from it so much that people always ask, like, would you recommend getting an outside PR firm to help you do your book launch? I'm like, yes. Like for the two months surrounding your launch, but that's that's going to cost you. So you're going to give them the money for, I did a book tour, which people are like, Oh, like, that's amazing. I'm like, maybe Ina Garden's publisher or Chrissy Teigen's publisher or whoever celebrity is getting their book tour comped first timers like me. No, like I got to pay for my plane tickets, hotel rooms, organize the events. Like I was in the red when my first book came out Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh my God. And the only reason I ended up doing a tour was because I was like, I'm going to go on every morning show. I can get my face on. I'm going to build a killer reel. And then I'm going to use that reel to like sell myself as either a talking head or get on a show or whatever. And now I do have a reel, which is amazing. But I'm like, if that is not your goal, do not do it. Like right. it's not, that, that is not a good business decision to do a bunch of events where you maybe sell like 40, 50 bucks at the best possible event. And again, what people don't understand is for me after my advance to start making money, I have to sell back my advance at 10% of my jacket price. So I have to sell back all of those tens of thousands of dollars at $2 and 69 cents. That's crazy. (laughs) So like we don't write, somebody said to me recently, which was the most apt description of a non-celebrity writing a cookbook ever, which is you work for two years and then you get a big fancy business card. Book writing is not necessarily a money maker, but it's great for using it. And like I did, you know, again, the goal is obviously that eventually you do become, you know, a big enough name that you can command more. So like I did get more for my second book advance. Hopefully if this book does, okay. You know, the scary thing is you may not sell enough books to earn out your advance and then you'll, and then you don't get a second book deal. So like, that's also the fear. That was the intense fear. Like the whole time I was writing it, I was like, Oh my God, nobody's going to buy this book. And then I'm never going to get another book deal and I'm going to have to start a new career. And that's like the anxiety spiral that I would enter. But I think that, with the second book, again, I have a whole new side of anxieties to spiral over, but it's something that you do with the hope of leveraging it to, you know, like I have so many things I want to do and uh, like crazy long-term goals that sound pie in the sky dreams right now, but that's sort of what I'm hoping to slowly build towards. It's like one day I would love to have like do diet frozen meals or, you know, like 
I would love to have, if you go to like a stadium or an arena, like a fast, casual dude diet option, you know, like these are all things that sound insane, but it's like, you got to start somewhere. You got to build yeah. that from the ground up. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> you got, you have to, but I want to take a step back because it actually sounds yeah. like you were much more business savvy. If I was approached right now to get a book deal, I would to your point be like, sure, pay me whatever. I don't even know how this works. Like the fact that you had to go do that hiring yourself, like how did you even know where to start with that? Were they like, Hey, if you want to do this book, here's all the things you have to do. You have to hire a photographer. You have to get a food stylist. Or did you just know from kind of being around that business? Like, I want to hear how you knew, okay, this is a good price or I'm not settling with this. And I'm booking here in LA. Like that's a really stringent process that if I, again, if I were to do it, I'd be like, that sounds good. And then probably get screwed over and spend like (laughs) $250,000. I have misrepresented myself is all I can say. It's like, I am only able to say this now. At the time, I basically cried for a whole year. Okay. <laughs> it was like every email kept coming in, like my editor being like, so have you decided on a photographer? And I was like, I have to hire a photographer. Like, where the fuck do I find a photographer? Yeah, like, like, who do I, you know, like, and then like cue waterworks. Like, you know, somebody was like, this is how, you know, how much the shoot costs. Like, start crying because that's not even how much I was paid to begin with. Like how on earth do I pay for that? And so I did have, thank God, like my book agent, I like reached out and said, Hey, I didn't like, I knew I was going to have to hire a photographer, but I was in terms of paying for it. But I assumed that they were going to provide me with a short list of people to choose from. Right. And then, and then an appropriate price breakdown. And to be perfectly clear, I also chose to spend that much money because it was so important to me to have photos for as many recipes as possible because I was writing a book that was geared towards people who don't cook. So I was like, they have to have this visual cue because the answer that anybody would give you if you're like, how do I pay for this photo shoot? Is they're like, well, you only shoot 50 to 75% of the photos and then you're able to keep more of your advance because you're paying for less. Like if you do the math, it basically shakes out to like $650 a photo. Like that's what, for, for my photographer, they're also cheaper photographers. So I could have right. found a no-name photographer and, and, that, and at that time, that was definitely in my mind but I also didn't feel like I had the time to do the research to find somebody I believed in. And it felt like a safer bet to go with a trusted photographer. And what about a proposal when they're like, okay, go write a proposal. Were you like, yeah, totally. I know what to do. Or did you literally like Google, how do you write a book proposal? Cause I feel like that's um, what I would do. <laughs> so with the first, remember I told you, I wrote that like really terrible food that doesn't suck proposal. At that point I had met, there is, there are people out there that will co-write proposals with you. It's not that they contribute content, but you can like hire somebody who will co-write it with you who has written a million book proposals. And is like, all right, this is section one. This is section two. Like you need to fill in 10 recipes here and this here, you know, like, Got and it. so that was what taught me. And I, but I also had to, you know, pay someone a consulting fee for that, right. but there are now templates that I think you could find online, but I don't know that they existed at that time. Got it. So, and so now, so now I can talk about all these things as if I knew them, but at the time I was, like I said, just freaking out and crying every day pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that sounds insane, especially because 
this wasn't like you said, it's not like you woke up after college and you're like, I want to write a, a cookbook called the dude diet that wasn't like on your radar at all. And what about even like going back to finances? Cause it is really interesting that we're in a time where a lot of people want to freelance and move abroad or just travel in a van. And it sounds like that's kind of what you did with just like F it. I'm going to go to culinary school in Paris. Did you end up like having to save for three months and move? Did you get graduation money? Like, how did you even fund a trip to go to culinary school in Paris? So this is also something I'm super open about. Like I had some savings, but ultimately my parents funded that. Like I am incredibly privileged. Like that is just the, (laughs) it's something I'm hyper aware of. And it's something that I'm always upfront about because I'm like, you just throw it out there. Like you can't, you know, there's, there are people that are going to be like, wow, she just had these things handed to her and whatever. And I can take that. You know, the truth is, is like my personal belief is somebody can open the door for you, but you got to walk through it. I mean, at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and be like, everybody should move to Paris. Right. Go to culinary school. Like what a ridiculous thing to say. And like, oh no, I did it. I worked from the ground up. It was all me. Like, I'm glad that you said that because there's a huge issue where, I mean, we're older and we can even see it that we see people's lives on Instagram and we're like, wow, they must be making a hundred thousand dollars a day because the life that they're living is like not real. My sister just said it to me and she's like, I just feel like I'm missing out. I'm like, do you know how many people are in credit card debt that are like probably being investigated by the IRS? Cause they're not even paying taxes. <laughs> like we have no idea what everyone's financial situation is. So to look at you and you not lie about it and say, no, like I actually did have a lot of help. And I had yeah. some savings. Like, it's not, it, you don't want to portray a wrong image, but it's okay to admit, like, yeah, I had the help. And to your point, I didn't, you didn't go to Paris and like wander the streets and be like, yeah. oh, okay, like, let's see what happens here. <laughs> like, you had a and plan. I, I do think that people, and that also brings up the good point of like, I think Instagram in general is just a, a pit of illusions. Oh. But like, there are so many things. I mean, I, last night was cleaning out my bathroom and I took a photo of my medicine cabinet and like posted it because of the, A, it will never be this clean again. <laughs> I, my, <laughs> I, I did that like, last week. I call, I call it Marie condoing. I was like, I'm Marie condoed my bathroom. <laughs> and it, it was very disturbing. And I was also like, you have a serious problem. But the truth is, is like people, I could sense people being like, oh my God, like this is my fantasy medicine cabinet, like whatever. And then I was like, this is, yes, like I personally choose to spend my like hard earned free cash on skincare. Like I'm not, I used to love to spend it on clothes and some people spend their money on experiences or concerts or like, right. you know, massages, like whatever your self-care drug of choice is. But like for me, it's skincare. So I'm yeah. like, I will buy a new serum and like, yeah. have no shame about it. But the truth is also, I got a lot of shit sent to me as do other people who are in this industry. So I'm like, I did not pay for half the things in this cabinet. And like, I need, I want to be upfront about that. Like right. I never afford to buy all of these things. And like, it's a, it's just a ridiculous misconception. And like, I don't want to say that, you know, it is, it's so interesting to start a business with a safety net. And I have like endless, endless gratitude for that. And I hate when people discount like being like work hard and your dreams will come true because that's not an option for everyone. I also don't think it's an option for everyone to follow their passion, but I also think that people often misconstrue 
what I do or other people that they see that they, you know, enjoy watching or admire their life in some way and are like, oh, I want to do what you do. And like we just, you know, we've been talking about for the past 40 minutes, it's like I spent a solid four years, a solid four years doing things that I hated. Like deeply Like not even kind of middle of the road. You're like, I despise. Not middle of the road. Like jobs that I despise (laughs) and then used my free time to work on my blog, which wasn't necessarily, like, which started as something that I wanted to do for fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And like then became work that I was not paid for, for at least two years. Like I was not making money on the blog, I think until the second year, like two full years in. And so that to me is where I'm like, okay, why do you want to do what, so what I do or what somebody else you see does? Because ultimately I think that if you go into it, like if somebody's like, I want to start a blog, what should I do? I'm like, first of all, you should really evaluate whether you want to start a blog because it's crazy. It's a lot of <laughs> lot of work. Like you said, the three posts a week. I was like, when I try, as you can hear, as I'm talking to you, I had my la 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 bottom as well. I can't even say it anymore. Instagram, and then I tried to start a blog, and I did two posts, and I was like, this takes me like five days to do one post <laughs> because I would I would read it and then erase it and then read it and redo it. Hate the photos. Think like I need to totally reshoot these. Like it is a full time job in and of itself to keep the cadence of, of like consistently posting. Yeah. And then you also have to spend like all of your time. Like my husband travels a lot for work and like, he would come home and be like, why do you look like you haven't slept in a full week? And I'm like, I haven't, I've been watching like YouTube videos on like SEO until three in the morning, you know, like random shit like that. And I think I'm only now, and I, I, I try to be as honest about this as possible. Like I have always loved a, like the, baseline of what I've done. I've just like hated the specific jobs in pursuit of that baseline passion, which again, even having a job that you're passionate about is a privilege in and of itself. But I now, I would say like the past year has been the first time that I've ever like woken up and been like, you're, you're doing something you like now. Right. Like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. I genuinely like what I'm doing and being compensated. And I think it's funny. I always tell people like patience blogging is a, is the biggest exercise in patience. Like if you do not have, and I am not a patient person. So it has <laughs> personally tested me in many ways. Oh my God. That's, that has to be the hardest thing. Cause like you, it takes so long to even, edit and review the photos and edit again and edit the content. And like you said, it's like probably let's to give some perspective. How long do you think it puts, how much work do you put into one blog post? Like one recipe post? Ooh, I would say, I would say probably 12 hours, 12 hours for In one. In the sense that it's like, you I, brainstorm recipe. I go grocery shopping. I prep the food. I do the photo shoot. I edit the photos. Often I will test a recipe twice just to make sure that it's like perfect. And then I will write the content and then I'll do the back end stuff, but I usually split it up. Like I'll do like 12 hours in a row days and then editing days and stuff like that. But I'm now down to just because my career has changed so much in such wonderful ways. Like 
I'm now only post once a week. And like, I have all of this guilt about that. Like so much guilt. I am there with you with my podcast episodes. I'm like, I don't post it in a month. I know, but that's okay. You know, like, it's like, I almost see that as a good sign because I, I'm, I've become now a busy with the books, but I'm also doing other things. I really like, like I'm going to Vegas to speak at a conference next week. I like do cooking demos for brands. I host, you know, the occasional cooking class, or I do a bunch of panels and I do so much. Now I do instead of like a recipe post on the blog, I, I do so many cooking tutorials on Instagram. I now am able to like, I've shifted away from just food, which has like opened up my whole life in the past. I started like a, I would say a year and a half ago being like, I want to talk about other things. I had felt that way for like four years. And that's my biggest advice to people who are feeling creatively stifled is lean into other things that you're interested in. Because I would say when I turned in the first dude diet, I was like so burnt out on food that I was like, I can't do another recipe. blog post. I I, like don't have any more recipes in my head. I'm so tired. I hate food. Like it made me like reconsider my entire career choice. And luckily, you know, my friends who are also in this space were like, no, like you, you got to take a break from the cooking stuff for a bit, but like, it's going to come back. This is just burnout. And I also like have been in therapy forever. And my therapist is like, you're like right on par for the creative cycle right here. Like, like, okay, (laughs) so this is normal. Everything is shit and you want to quit. Like that sounds exactly right. right. And so I was like, I want to do other stuff. So I started talking about other things that I was passionate about. So skincare, mental health, like health, like, you know, healthy living in general. And also sometimes I just like shoot the shit and talk about celebrity gossip on Instagram. And ultimately that's how being myself has like, I started talking about the Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, like creepiness leading up to the Oscars. And I went to bed after talking about this and I woke up and like, I had like 300 DMS, which I get a lot of DMS because I respond to all of my DMS. So like now I'm having constant conversations at all times, which I love. And like, like I said, my people are my people, but like, I woke up and I was like, wait, 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 what did I post about that has, yeah. You're like, did I accidentally like leak something? And then I was like, Oh my God, like, this is what people want to talk about. And like when I post recipes, people go to the website, they cook them. That makes me so happy. But like, when I talk about, you know, skincare, people are like, have you tried this? Or like, do you like this? And like, what kind of facial should I get? And like, it all sounds very frivolous, but I love this stuff. And same with mental health. Like anytime when I started opening up about my anxiety, like people were like coming out of the woodwork, wanting to talk about this and then being super vulnerable with me because I had been vulnerable with them. And I was like, this is the only way I can perform this element of my job. And social media is just one element of my job. And it's a small element. Like it takes up a lot of my time, but it's still my smallest income stream. So like I have the freedom to just talk about what I want to talk about. I talk about things I love. I talk about things I hate without like worrying that. Yeah. Like I'm like, if I'm like Vintner's daughter ruined my face, I'm not afraid that Vintner's daughter is going to be like, I'm not going to sponsor you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're like, Oh, who gives a shit? It's actually like, don't you almost find it therapeutic? Like, I feel like when I do the podcast, especially solo ones, it's like, I can talk about whatever I want because it's my platform and it feels like getting it off my chest that to your point, it's like, wow, I don't have to be this perfectly 
buttoned up curated influencer with like throwing my coffee in the air. Like how did we even get to the point where those are actual pictures? Like I don't even understand, but I love that you're saying like it, that you, you specialized in food. You got trained in food. Your whole background was food, but you did have this like need and desire to be like, I'm, I need to like figure out other outlets. And yeah. now you're actually talking about it. And ultimately now I get to do, so like some of my best partnerships have been brands that I've just talked about consistently in skincare or like now I have this amazing long-term partnership with a CBD brand that I would had been using for months. And like people just reach out because I talk about them so much and they're like, Hey, like, do you want to get paid? Yeah. You're, you're promoting us for free. You're like, well, <laughs> and like the reason I love my audience is yes, it's growing. There's always new people and they don't know me as well. But like a lot of the people, when I'm like, I'm now working with this brand, they're like, get your money, girl. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, do you girl? Like that's what we need. Um, so yeah, like it's a, it's a lot, it's a strange world to be in. And I think it's only getting stranger, but stranger things. <laughs> so something really interesting that I see you talk about, and actually a lot of people talking about now is anxiety. I feel like people are really lifting the veil behind again, all these super pretty posts and people are starting to talk about like imposter syndrome, anxiety, depression, therapy. And I'm like, thank God, because like you just talked about having a therapist. I talk about this on all my podcasts, but I had a therapist for a year and, and I went every single week and it changed my life. I don't have bipolar disorder. I'm not depressed. I'm not on medication. And it doesn't even matter if you doesn't are. Matter. It just is. I think people have this really negative misconception about sharing not only like their anxiety or struggles, but about going to therapy. And so can you talk a little bit about your anxiety? Like where did you first notice that this was maybe something that would be debilitating and how you handle it? So I had my first panic attack, my, the week I was graduating from college in hindsight, it makes perfect sense to me at the time. It made no sense. But like now I'm like, Oh, you have spent your whole life channeling yourself into a, you know, work hard, be rewarded, take the next step. Everything was mapped out. And then all of a sudden it was poof gone. And my brain was like, Oh my God, there are too many unknowns. Like, yeah. What is happening? But like, I didn't recognize that at the time and had a panic attack, had never had one at that time. People were not talking about panic attacks all the time. So I just thought I was having a stroke or a heart attack or something. Like I went to the ER and was like, wait, what were your I, symptoms specifically? Like what I happened? Felt like, so I personally, and I talk about this a lot is some people experience anxiety purely in a mental way in the sense that they have spiraling thoughts that they can't get rid of. They can't sleep. Their mind is consistently racing or they're fixating on things. Like, did I leave the curling iron plugged in? You know, stuff like that. Occasionally I have that kind of stuff too. Um, my career necessitates like those spirals, but I have really physical anxiety. So I have heart palpitations, phantom leg and arm pain. Uh, I get cold, I like break out in a cold sweat. I don't hyperventilate, which I feel very grateful for because I feel like that ultimately is something people reach out to me a lot about and are like, how do you deal with hyperventilating or crying or whatever in a public place? And like, that's just not how I personally experience my anxiety. But yeah, I like have, I feel like somebody's sitting on my chest. So like I tend to a take a lot of deep breaths and I always have to be drinking water because my, it will 
my chest feeling like that will tell my brain that I can't breathe when I actually can, or I can't swallow when I actually can. So I have to consistently remind myself that like you breathing and you swallowing, like yeah. still, it's fine. Um, so I had consistent panic attacks like on the reg for about a year, Ooh. which was terrifying. And I was in, I was in therapy. Thank God. I was the same therapist for a decade. Oh, Jeez, wow. Man. That's amazing. <laughs> and so like when I had that panic attack, thank God, I was like, I had this panic, like what they told me at the hospital was a panic attack, like whatever. And he's like, okay. And thankfully like he also randomly is an anxiety specialist. Like I had not been seeing him for anxiety. I've just been seeing him because like I had, you know, divorced parents and like all of these things. It's <laughs> like, it's good to talk it out. Yeah. But he was like, this makes perfect sense. Like your brain is freaking out because your life is in flux. And he knows, so he, he explained things because I am an academic person. He explained things in terms of how everything was affecting my brain and like how my amygdala was overstimulated. And then like literally physical ways that I could bring myself back into my body. And then also talking about strategies to help me understand what the panic was, because once you understand it, it takes away a lot of the power of being like, I'm not dying. I'm having a panic attack. Like, right. Oh, well, like it's yeah. going to pass. It always passes. This really, really sucks right now, but like, it's going to go away. And that was very empowering. And so I learned a lot about that in the first year I was having panic attacks. Uh, and I also went on medication. I went on Lexapro, which is an SSRI that is sometimes, you know, given for depression, sometimes for anxiety. Sometimes those two things go hand in hand, which I don't think is talked about enough because people who either have heard a lot about that link assume that if you are depressed, you're anxious and vice versa. And they off, while they often go hand in hand, like I do not struggle with depression, but I have very bad anxiety. And I know lots of people with very severe depression who are not anxious. So I think it's important to like make that distinction, but I went on Lexapro and just sort of, it didn't, I had fewer panic attacks, but I was still anxious and I had a lot of side effects that I was just like, I'm not sure if this is worth it. And so with the help of my doctor, he was like, I agree with you. Like, if you don't think this is working, like we can try something else or we can try and we can wean you off of this and you, we can come up with like a toolbox that you can rely on that involves a lot of lifestyle changes and things like, you know, diet, exercise, meditation, which I still don't do, but I do forms of, um, I also refuse some of the things that he taught me were super helpful. And I did start, I did start drinking less caffeine, eating less sugar, drinking less alcohol, but I also just got much better at talking myself off the proverbial ledge. Like just the self-talk mm-hmm. element of it was super helpful for me. And then employing a bunch of strategies that I know work for me. Like I'll take a few deep breaths immediately, which is so we all know this when you're panicking, you absolutely forget to take deep breaths. It's like the first, it's the first thing that (laughs) goes poof out of your head. You're like, wait, why am I not breathing? And I, I drink calcium, magnesium tea, like in tea form, but I make the tea. I have no clue if it's the calcium magnesium that's helping me or the act of making the tea and Mm. mixing the tea and drinking the tea. I don't give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) Something is working. So like, that's fine. Uh, I didn't start exercising until two years ago, but that like changed my life, which was, I just refused to exercise. And then I started exercising. I was like, wow, things are so much better. And my therapist was like, you're an idiot, but okay. It's like, oh, that age old tale of eating well and exercise does really work. 
see. And then the past, I don't know, year and a half, I've also started taking CBD pretty regularly, which helps. I have panic attacks now very rarely, like maybe once or twice a year. There have been years in the past 10 years where where I had zero panic attacks and there have been years where I've had more. I now have sort of generalized anxiety, which on a bad day can teeter at the brink of a panic attack where I'm like, Ooh, don't go there. And like on good days is like non-existent, like zero anxiety at all. And I think what's been so interesting about talking about anxiety so openly is a, a lot, like so many people are anxious and are so grateful that they, somebody else is talking about it and making them feel less alone. But also like, again, another way in which I'm incredibly privileged is like, I come from a family of anxious people. So like we talk about it a lot and like, it breaks my heart when people are like, I can't tell my family or my boyfriend or like, I don't know how to explain it. And I think that's part of it too. Is like when I met Logan, I was just learning how to communicate my anxiety. And so he was on that early roller coaster with me. Like now all I have to say to him is like, I am super anxious right now. And he knows like exactly what that means. Like, I don't want to be touched. I'm probably going to be pretty quiet. Like I'm going to be like drinking water and taking weird breaths. Like yeah. that's like what I'm going to do. And like, maybe I'm going to need to like have some alone time and like take a bath and like be by myself. Like I don't like to be around people when I'm anxious. Some people need to be around people. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's experience is so different. But I also think what I'm trying to communicate to people is like, they're not alone or like crazy. Cause most people are like, I feel really crazy because they think they're the only one that has this. Right. But people also project their own anxieties onto me. And that's something that I am working, A, like I have to talk about in therapy, mm-hmm. but B, like working hard to explain to people that like, just because we don't experience anxiety in the same ways doesn't mean either of our anxiety is more or less valid. It's like somebody's like, you know, you're, you're the only person I know who experiences physical elements of anxiety. And there, she was like, all my friends say that I have, that they have anxiety, but I've never seen them like hyperventilate or pass out or doing it. I'm like, they probably just have the mental form of it, which is just, which honestly can be just as scary. Cause right. if you convince yourself, like I've had, I had a friend once leave a Broadway show because she was like absolutely convinced she left the oven on. She did not, but like her anxiety made her like, she was like, I have to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I've seen people like that, that they're like, like you said, they freeze and they stop and they're like something, like something is wrong. I have to go. I have to go. And it's like, what you, like you said, you're not hyperventilating, you're not sweating, (laughs) but it's all mental. So it's, that's something I try and I'm, I'm trying, I'm focusing more now on like trying to communicate specifics of my anxiety while reminding people that like, just cause they experience it differently, a does not make them like weirder. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's how some people respond to is they're like, Oh, she's talking about anxiety and, and that's not how I experience it. So like, I'm now even crazier and I'm yeah. like, that's not remotely the case. Yeah, right. But I also think, and I, I think this is something, I don't know. Did you mention this to me at some point, but like the difference between stress and anxiety? Yeah, I did. I sent you a question because it's such a big topic now on social media. And I said it in a way that I was like, this might sound insensitive, but it almost seems like everyone's talking about anxiety. So I'm like, is this something we truly all have? Or is it just some people are really stressed out and can't 
classify it as stress and classify it as anxiety or like, are they both one and the same? Like, I would love to hear your perspective on that. I think that's such an important question. And I don't think that's insensitive at all because I think that ultimately, first of all, the sad thing is just because the way the world is today and like how much time we spend on screens and, and the 24 hour news cycle and all these things, it's like anxiety and depression are increasing at a clip like Mm. exponentially. So it is very possible that everyone you're following does actually have legitimate anxiety. But I also think that anxiety has become sort of a, not just a buzzword, but a catch all. And that stress and anxiety are so often conflated because it's, there isn't a clear delineation between the two. There is scientifically, but I think like just among lay people who are casually talking about these things, people are like, Oh, I'm really anxious about this presentation. I'm like, I think you're stressed about this presentation. Right. And like, that is actually like, for me, the crazy thing is the more stressed I am, the less anxious I am. Mm. So like when I am super like crunched, like up on a book deadline or have, you know, some speaking engagement that I'm prepping for, or I'm on the road and going from event to event, I feel great on the anxiety front. Like I am so stressed about getting everything done and, and just performing that my brain is so full of things that it cannot be anxious. But I think when people, the, the clearest understanding I have of it, and this is not remotely scientific, but like to me, stress has a stressor, like Mm, you can point, you have a lot going on at work. So you're stressed or like you got in a fight with your boyfriend. So you're stressed or you're, you're going on a family vacation and like, you know, everybody is going to fight. And like, this is like, you're stressed about that anxiety. Well, it can have a trigger and it could, could also be any one of those things. It can also just be completely free floating. Like I can be having the best day walk into the grocery store. and like two thirds of the way there. I'm like, <sighs> like what? Like it just yeah. out of nowhere. nowhere. And sometimes there are things that trigger it. And like, if I get extremely overtired or like for me, when I turned my book in, in the second book at the beginning of November this year, like the week after I turned it in is the most anxious I've been in years because like, like my brain was all of a sudden free. I had this huge weight lifted. And then it was like, Oh my God, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Like almost, like you said, it's almost like when there's space in your brain, that's not occupied with something that's almost maybe what's triggering the anxiety. Cause it's like, what's yeah. happening now? Where's my life? What am I doing? Is that okay? But like, versus like you said, okay, I have a really big presentation or I have to send 25 emails in the next hour. That's just a stressful task, but I'm not going to like hyperventilate or go into mental yes. spiral or anything like that. It's just like annoying and stressful to get through, but it's going to get done. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, I think the more, but I just think the conversations, even when they're, even if the person is mixing up stress with anxiety, I still think it's a positive for people to be talking about oh, it yeah. regardless. Yeah. What are some tools that you, you talked a little bit about this diet, exercise, meditation. Are there other things that you do, especially when you get, like you said, to that brink of like, Whoa, we're about to spiral here. What are some things that you do to immediately maybe snap you out of it or just try and calm down to a medium level. So breathing, moving, like regardless of what it is, not in terms of exercise. It's like, if I am in my apartment and panicking, like I will go walk around the block, like getting a being outside is, has been shown to have a huge effect on our mental health period, but also just like that fresh air and moving my legs and being like, Oh, your legs are moving. (laughs) 
I'm alive. <laughs> same, thing with, same thing with the swallowing and breathing. You good girl. But like that CBD helps me pretty immediately. Um, it's not like, I, I don't like Xanax. I don't take Xanax. I have taken it before though. And so I remember what that effect is like. It's not the same. Like people are always like, Oh, like, is it like taking a Xanax? It's not, it's more of like a chest expanding mellow. It's like, it doesn't dull you at all. I can, I could get up. I took one, I took a CBD before we started this conversation. Right. Like I just you don't get high and you're like, Ooh, no, 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 the it actually like helps my mental clarity as well. So that's a big thing. I put my legs up the wall. Huge. If you are like on the verge of a panic attack, just reversing the blood flow. And it like, it, it brings oxygen to their whole body. Like it's just a great, it's it, people are like, Oh, I do that in a yoga class. I'm like, yeah, exactly. And you felt it's super calming. Yeah. And so that is something I've been doing a lot recently. Like if I'm at home, I mean, you can't obviously stop at the street and put your legs. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, we need to call the police. Yeah. But those, those are big ones. Calcium, magnesium, like I said. Um, and then, yeah, like it's more about my lifestyle though, in terms of preventing anxiety more than it is about like, sure, I have to manage it in the moment, but it's really all of the stuff that I've done over time. So the big ones being obviously therapy, diet, exercise, um, that have made it that have brought it to a point where I can manage it when it does come along. It's not like I wake up every single morning, like I did that first year. And I'm like, <gasps> like what is happening? Right. What are some of your favorite CBD brands or, um, I love Highline wellness. That's what I use now. I, my originally, like the first brand I tried was Lord Jones and they're amazing. And I highly, highly recommend them, but they're very expensive and, they're like the OG CBD brand. And like, you know, it's like $45 for nine gummies. And I'm like, like that's not yeah. a good, like a sustainable habit. I need that money for my skincare. Yeah. So. <laughs> a lot of other things to focus Highline, on. Highline is like, I decided to try it cause I had heard such good things about it. And then was like, if it doesn't work, I'm going to stick with my Lord Jones. Cause like, I'm not somebody, people are always like, Oh, you've only tried Highline and Lord Jones. Have you tried X brand? I'm like, no, cause Highline is affordable and it works for me. And I'm not somebody who like, if something works, I'm not going to go try other things. I'm right. like, I need this to help me. What if Found the next it. thing I try does not work? Like- <laughs> right. So you use Highline and you're talking about gummies. You recommend anything else like the oil or there's there yeah, the bomb? Oil, oil is faster at acting. I'm not a vapor. Some people have CBD pens. Okay. Um, that's just like not a, a, my personal alley. I like the gummy formulation because it's a little bit more this could totally just be me, but I think because you have to digest it, it's sort of a slower release in my mind. Whereas like the oil I will often take before bed, it's like fast acting and, and I feel it hit me more quickly and more intensely than a gummy. So I do like gummy during the day. Oil oil at night. Night. And yeah. you said it's not like an immediate, like whoa, head high or something like no, it's not no, no, even... no, 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 no. I mean, you can get CBD with THC in it and then you'll get high, high as shit. <laughs> but like, I'm not, I'm not taking it to get high. I'm just trying to like mellow and right. I don't take it every day. Not even close. Like people ask me that a lot. It's more like I take it when anxiety is creeping in or if I know I'm in a position where like I am likely to become anxious because I'm traveling a lot or I've had like a rough night of sleep or I have a lot of shit going on. Yeah. I'll just wake up in the morning and take it preemptively, but I don't take it every day. 
Got it. That's I have this CBD oil, and I I have really bad sleeping problems, so I'm trying to use it to help me to sleep. But I do it the thing with like under my tongue, yes. and it feels so weird because then I just want to gulp it, and then I'm like, I don't like doing this, but I need to do it. And then I'm trying to take melatonin, lavender spray, like meditation. And I'm like, oh my god, if I could just literally not have to do any of this, it'd be amazing. But sometimes we like need our routines just to we need our routines just to manage. Big it. proponent of routine. Well, you shared so much about all the way from your college anxiety days to today and writing two books. Is there anything looking back on your younger self that you would tell yourself or what advice you would give to your younger self? Um, honestly, I just wish that it's something like I tell myself every day. Like, I'm like, you're okay. Like, I just <laughs> wish like somebody had told me, although I probably wouldn't have listened. Yeah. You never, like, you're going to be okay. <laughs> because I think like that first year, not just the anxiety portion, but like those first, I would say the first year was out of college was terrifying. But like, I would say like the first four years where I was just like, really like, like we talked about not super stoked about what I was doing, but like had all these things I wanted to do. Just having somebody be like, you're okay. And like, you'll get there. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll get there is I'm trying to find the balance between being a striver and being content with where I am yeah. right now. And that is a very hard balance to find, but I think it's something that I'm committed to seeking because like, I'm always going to want more. Mm -hmm. Like if you had told 22 year old Serena, like you're going to have two books and a husband that is awesome. And like have this like great life. I'd be like, Oh sweet. Okay. I relax now. But like now I'm like, you gotta have, more books and a TV show and this and that yeah. and like whatever. So like, I'm trying to shift out of that driving mm -hmm. mindset slightly and like settle more into celebrating the now. I, I like, you'll get there. Cause it's to your point when you're like 22 <laughs> or 23, even if your parent, your parents do kind of say like, it's okay. You'll get there. And you're like, you're usually just an asshole and you have the confidence of like an insane yes. person when you're 23 and you think you're going to be the CEO of a company at like 25 it's so funny, like looking back that you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Right. But I it's like that. Way, like, everything. Yeah. Like, I look back at my like college stuff and I was like, like I thought what? I was super smart, had everything figured out and was like, looked amazing. And like, and you're like, <laughs> what was I doing? Like, oh, that was not, none of those things were true, but I respect that confidence. And that's what I'm working back towards is like, I genuinely think we will all be, this is so touchy feely, but I think you can only reach your full potential when you have a sense of existential self-confidence that isn't rooted in like your accomplishments or what, what you perceive your goals to be, but rather just like, I am, I am confident that I am doing work that means something and like being myself. And if that leads to like more traditional success, wonderful. But if not having that existential confidence means you're going to be happy when you wake up on the day to day. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. I'm so glad you ended with that. I feel like that was such a perfect like <laughs> bow on that. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm much like have tears in my eyes. It was so beautiful. No wonder you're a writer. <laughs> oh, and you also such have, a fun conversation. I though. know. And you have the best name. Like Serena Wolf. I was like, this is a gossip girl name. Like Serena Thank Vanderson, you. Serena Wolf. <laughs> I can I get that is, a lot. Was that your husband? You didn't take your husband's last name. No, I didn't. No, you didn't. can't without, without full name. Yeah. So like my name. Oh yeah. Where can people find you then on Instagram, on your blog? I know you have a second book coming out. When can we anticipate that? 
They can find me at Serena G Wolf on Instagram. Uh, Domesticate-me.com is my website. So lots of, lots of good stuff there starting from 2011. Um, and the dude diet is out now. The dude diet dinner time comes out October 29th and you can get both on Amazon or wherever books are. Oh my God. That's so exciting. That's so soon. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. This is the diet for me. Anyone that knows me is like, you need like junk food and, and meat. And I'm like, this is we it. All do. This is amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast and everyone go order her book and pre-order or get ready to log on Amazon on, on October 29th and buy the thank second book. Thank you for having me. Bye Thank guys. you. Bye. I don't know about you guys, but I seriously loved this episode because Serena is so positive and happy, but she also tends to keep it 100% real. It showed me that you can be a positive person that looks at the glass half full, but you can also recognize life isn't about floating through it with fairies and rainbows and glitter around you. I love doing my podcast, but I had to invest a lot of my personal money into resources to help me out so that I didn't have to do everything that I hated. But more than not, I don't like finding the edits. I don't like re-recording intros and outros several times. I don't like trying to schedule everything, but it's part of being a podcaster. So I'm happy we had this conversation because it also shows you if you stick with something that's in the realm of what you want to do, you can probably find other outlets that you didn't even know about or lock in a position that you wanted, book that gig, etc. We all have issues around stress, anxiety, insecurity, shame, guilt, whatever it is. I hope Serena helped you realize you can go after what you want. And it's all about the process, the learning lessons and the adjustments you can make to get there. If you found any value out of this episode, I would appreciate If you found any value out of this episode, I would appreciate if you could leave a rating, subscribe, share it with whoever, and make it your Instagram story. You can follow Serena at Serena G. Wolf. Her blog is domesticate-me.com, and her book is The Dude Diet. You can email me at hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com or follow me at Chelsea Rife, and I'll see you back here next week. 